Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Successful Life Podcast is a space where you can hear stories from badass entrepreneurs and influencers that collectively have millions of listeners and followers. You get to hear their backstories and where they are currently. We discuss how precious your life is and crucial it is to live with a purpose and die knowing the person looking in the mirror today. This is the successful life. Corey Barrier, yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn, apply it to your life. It's your time to live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with Greg Anderson. What's up, Greg? Hey, my friend. I'm doing well today, and you? Doing great, my man. Good to see yeah, you. So, you too. Greg, I'm super excited for this conversation because, you know, as you know, I'm ADHD and meditation is one of the things that I guess, for lack of better terms, you're super well known for. I mean, you did spend, I think, what, three years in the jungle meditating. You want yep. to dive into that really quick? Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> tell me about that. I do want you to tell me, like, three years? Like, that is bizarre to me. Yeah, it was pretty wild. I calling into this whole conversation before I decided to leave a few years before that. I'm an entrepreneur. I own my own companies. I'm doing really well monetarily, but I still felt like I was missing some things. And I started picking up different um, meditation practices. I traveled and met with different gurus. I stayed with monks. I did all these things. And then there came to be a time that just said, man, I am doing as much as I know how to do. I need to unplug for a little while and go learn how to do some other things. And so I left, went through that experience, did three years. Uh, I was in and out. I'd come back to the States. I had some family here, but primarily I was down in Mexico, parts of South America. I studied with the Mayan Indians a ton. Um, and all kinds of different civilizations and their pyramid structures and complexes and these things. And what was cool is when I came back, my ability to hold more, to do more work or take on more projects in a stress-free way went through the roof. And currently I'm doing way more and that's not in a hustle format. I'm just working harder. I make a lot more money and I have way more free time than I used to. So it's just not a manage it better. So is it because, or do you feel like maybe it's because you, I mean, you mentioned unplugging, which it's interesting. This conversation is super interesting to me because I will have a, I have a friend that moved to, well, he didn't actually move to Costa Rica. He wound up moving to Costa Rica because COVID hit. And so he stayed there. Right. And, And he said, Corey said, you don't, He's trying to explain to me the treadmill that we're on. And I know you probably understand exactly what I mean by that. Yeah. Um, but for those people that are listening, what I mean by that is the treadmill of life. Like we get up, we do the same shit every day. We do the same, you know, the same stuff over and over. And it's kind of like being on a treadmill. And the reality is, God, I listened to a guy and I, it's killing me because I can't remember his name, but he was on Joe Rogan's podcast and he, he, he helped me to understand how enslaved we are to this device, you know, our phones, right? It's, it's the biggest mind control device on the planet. Sure. And when he said that, I'm like, God, it's so true. Like it, if your house was on fire, you get your kids out you probably get your dog out and then you get the phone out. I hope it would be in that order, sure. but it may not be right. Sure. Sure. And, 
And so being quiet, that you're so this is quite, you know, going away and, and really observing the things that you did. What what did you, you know, how do you view the outside world now? Because it's got to be a bit different, right? I would think. It is. And so here's the way a human being is designed, is developed. We're born and the neural pathways in our mind, they don't know the color blue. Our mind doesn't know that the word blue because in another country, it's something else, but it's still blue. Uh, it doesn't know how to speak. It doesn't know how to eat on it. doesn't know how to hunt. doesn't know how to make web pages, all these things, right? And so we spend the majority of our lives mimicking everyone around us. There's something underneath our eye that's called a mirror neuron. And it allows me to see what you're going through. And most of the time, understand it. Like we developed it. If you imagine a saber-toothed tiger chasing Ugg, a caveman up a hill, and Grug is sitting at the very top of the hill. If he doesn't realize that the dude running up the hill is scared, the dude running up the hill is going to pass him. The tiger is going to eat him. So we develop this ability to see and mimic. And that's how we've learned to walk, to speak. This is how we learned what money was. Um, And before fully understanding that principle, that my worldview on myself was given to me by TV, by parents, by church, by whatever. And so going away, it wasn't that I was trying to get away from anybody else. I was trying to get quiet enough to understand my own thoughts about certain circumstances. So when I first moved, I didn't know the language and I didn't know anybody. I would spend months at a time just by myself, walk to the grocery store, throw a you know, five-gallon thing of water over my shoulder, walk back to my apartment, you know, and that's what I would drink. And the most human experience and contact I would have were with people I didn't speak the language with. Just It was just gave me ability for that. And I learned how many times I was triggered by the outside environment. I'm a good looking guy. I'm single. I was making a bunch of money. And the way that I spent it and the way that I made it and the way that I showed it was all things that I had seen and learned. It wasn't necessarily who I was. And so I got to peel off and say, well, you know, maybe that's not how I want to show up or the life experience I want to have. Uh, And it, it totally changed the game. And now It's very, very rare that I get triggered by an outside experience that forces me to act in a way. Because now I can just see it and be like, oh, that's an emotional trigger. I used to show up that way. Now I can just look back and smile and say, hey, that's interesting that, you know, this thing is happening. It's almost like you're not reactive now, right? Because a lot of us are reactive. We're not... We don't think we just re- we react to whatever the environment is or whatever the person is or whatever it looks like. But the reality is, do you really have to react? You don't really have to do anything, right? No. You don't have to. You don't owe anybody anything. You don't have to do anything except for maybe pay taxes, right? And or you're being trouble. But yeah. you know. So all right. So let's pivot this a little bit because I'm I'm curious, and I want you to draw you know the line between the two if you can. Um, the own meditation that we did almost say four months ago, and I don't know the name of it because I, but I've listened to it every day since then. I've done the meditation. I've done the, um, I've done the whole thing as uncomfortable as it was at first. Um, I, there's something that happens in that meditation. And what I mean is I, I've, I've obviously I've been learning a lot more about the, the struggles and so on and so forth with ADHD. One of those for me is that I forget like I'll have a great idea during that meditation. And by the end of it, a 17 ideas down the road. And like, mm-hmm. there's no way I'm going to remember all that. So I've made a conscious effort just to, as weird as it sounds, to pick up my phone and just in the middle of the meditation, take notes because I can't do it any other way. But it's interesting. It's like the endorphins that you get from running. It's almost exactly the same. Sure. So in meditation, First off, there's a million modalities. There are, you know, a million ways that you can make a body healthy. You can go to the gym and lift weights. You can run. You can climb rocks, whatever it is. But that's the same thing. And depending on the way that you exercise is depending on the way your body will show up. A runner isn't a great power lifter. And a power lifter isn't a great runner. But they're both physically fit. So meditations like... Ohm meditations or mantras or guided um, or, 
you know, silent, like zero point meditations, they're all designed to do different things. So they're different modalities to get you into place. When you're doing an own meditation, what you're physically doing is you're telling your brain, stop thinking about everything else because I'm going to give it a sound and I'm going to make it and I'm going to try to be present for that. When that happens, new ideas can come in because you're not so cluttered. When you're thinking about 50 things at once, how are you ever going to get new ideas or new processes or, um, you know, just get better at something if you're still being reactive to the experience around you? And pulling this all the way back to that conversation we just had, it, that you have two ways to show up. You can either respond or you can react. And both of them are completely different. A response is how I want to respond to a scenario. A react is reacting the way that the world or the situation or the ex or the you know kids or the job, whatever it is, is forcing you to react. And that's out of your, your physical mental control. It's emotion, right? Your emotion takes over and therefore you react. Yeah. Most of the time in damaging ways. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, for sure. Because it, you know, if we could just, you know, for me, I know for me, if I could just think before I speak a lot of times, I'm better off. And I've gotten so much better at that just because of, you know, being aware. And, you know, I I've did ayahuasca a couple of times in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, mushrooms are not foreign to me. Like these things I think are very, very important. And what's interesting is they're, you know, they're starting to make these things a little bit more mainstream. I, I don't know for sure because you see it online. And you're like, well, I don't know if I believe it or not. But it seems like yeah. there are some things coming out about that. Is that right? It's true. Yeah. Maps, um, maps.com or sorry, maps.org is yep. they're the largest nonprofit that we have access to that just does more studies. And they keep pushing it mainstream. And one of the challenges is that we had. 20 years ago is something like LSD or psilocybin. You can't hold a patent on and you can't trademark it because it's a natural substance. So we're starting to move back to these original substances. And I, I kind of laugh at this one because think about this for a minute. Let's assume that you're God, right? You created this planet you put some people down on the ground. And if somebody needs to, to some kind of mental healing, would you make it so that they have to go through these really harsh chemical processes and build these little teeny pills that tell you to feel and act this way? Or would you create something that literally grows out of like cow shit that you can eat and remap the neural pathways of your brain? It just, it's like, whoa, that makes sense to me. All of the other medications and medicines don't. Right. How many people do you talk? I mean, I don't know if you necessarily talk to a lot of people, but in terms of this, most people that are taking antidepressants are still depressed. Like it's really sad. It's really sad. But I think I know the answer to why, like if to why we have to go through these issues is because it all comes back to money. They can't necessarily make a boatload of money on mushrooms or psilocybin because it's natural. That's, yeah. I'm assuming they can. I figure if, if they could, I'm sure they could figure out a way. But yeah, and maybe that's the case. They monetize weed, right? Taxes. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think Colorado is damn near out of debt because of that. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it's a pretty big deal. It is. You know? And so, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. Now, let me ask you. Uh, Within this, you know, when you went on your on your trip, did you utilize any of the plant medicines throughout that process? I didn't. I had done plant medicines before uh, for several years. I in and out of experiences. I went to Colombia, stayed with a family to do ayahuasca, um, multiple other experiences. And as I was coming out of this, you know trying to figure out who I was, this unplug, even though I was just distancing myself, I ran into a spiritual teacher, really powerful. She was Native American grandmother who was trained Hindu. And she asked me a question. She's like, how do you, you know, how do you deal? How do you get these other ideas? Because I've developed software programs off of something like a psilocybin. Um, How do you get this connection? I was like, oh, I I just dive into a plant medicine every now and then and, and we'll go through here. And she goes, well, what if you didn't have that capability? What if you could develop it 
without any type of, of plant medicine. I was like, well, then I would do it. She goes, great. Uh, I'm going to teach you. It's going to take you a minimum of three years. This is where this whole three years came from. And you have to do three things. You need to agree before I start to teach you this specific um, style of, you could call it spirituality. You could call it a secret science. You could call it a meditation. You call it whatever you want because it's all of you. So three things. I'm like, okay, great. What are they? She's number one, you can't cut your hair for three years. And I've always been like, you know, pretty cut and shaved. It's like, well, all right, I can do that. I was like, well, why? She goes, well, if you look in nature, trees are the other half of a human. Like we exhale what they breathe. And a tree breathes or exhales what we breathe, right? It's oxygen-based. Right. So they grow their roots into the ground to connect with everything around them. That's how a tree communicates. And humans grow those roots out of the top of your head, through your hair. So I did some research. And in years and years past, a thousand years ago, and even still in heavy spiritual communities, like rabbis, and if you're raised a certain thing, they don't let their kids cut their hair for years for the same process. So I'm like, okay, if they did it 3,000 years ago, why not me? Yeah. So we did this. Um, the second one was no drinking. I think we're paused out, Corey. Uh, sorry, I, I don't know. I, the internet just glitched. I have no idea. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, so the second thing you were saying. The second one was no drinking, no drugs, no aspirin, no anything that wasn't natural for three years. Like the example for me was this, because plant medicine I thought was a medicine. And it was, if you break your arm and you take a lower tab to numb the pain so you can, you know, heal your arm, that's a medicine. If you take a lower tab without something being broken, that's a drug. Same thing happened with any kind of plant medicine is if I was healing from something, great. If I was doing it for an experience, it was a drug. So none of that. And then the final thing was, was no sex of any kind for three years. Zero. Not why am, else. I'm curious if that is sim, is that similar to why boxers don't like is that it's energy right um yeah but with this too I didn't realize how many reactionary actions I had to women like beautiful woman walks into the bar you think sex oh she's beautiful and then your brain also thinks sex at the same time. Um, and I was triggered and like managed my life this way. And now if a beautiful woman walks in the room, I'm just her friend. Like I can have a conversation with people and I'm not triggered by those ways. And so sex was about that. It was about a little self mastery, but along with all of the, the money issues that I had, I also had feminine and sex issues. And um, I didn't understand all of these components. And this all gave me the time to, just get really clear and understand how I was being triggered and reactionary versus being able to respond. So it's, it's kind of a interesting. So long story short, no, when I went through that experience, it was just me. Um, I ate something called fruitarium, which is the fruits of plants, like an avocado or a seed um, just ate supernatural healed a lot of hormone imbalances that I had in my body it was just, it was a wild experience. So what was it like when you got back from that? Because that had to be, you know, you're, you, you jump. I, the, the only way I can kind of imagine, you know, how I could draw a line between the two is when I went and did my second ayahuasca journey, I didn't drive to the place I, I flew. And so I got back on a plane. Well, you know, as well as I do, integration's huge with this. Yeah. And so you step off of this amazing, loving place into like hell and it was just a bad idea like i will never do that again it was a bad mm-hmm. idea screaming babies are telling you to strap your mask on it's the middle of all this craziness yeah. like it was just not a good idea so what was the what was it like when you kind of got back and you weren't the same person right i yeah. mean you are but not the same person inside no 100 not even physically there's so many things that changed about me um you know, you could say lucky or not, but I came back right at the onslaught of when COVID started. And so there was a lot of space between people. Uh, but it took me 
it took me a few months to even want to like go on a date. It took me longer than that to want to work in an office. It's just taking a little bit of time to, to come back in. And even some of it, you know, I left with two really successful software companies. One of them got closed and then COVID was closing the other one uh, of what we were doing. And I was so committed on only doing something that felt 100% to me. Like, yes, this is exactly, it feels in alignment with my life to make money that I was turning down opportunities and businesses and partnerships. And it took a little bit to find those, um, those things that just felt good. And I was only going to do what I wanted to do at that point. Um, but even that I got, I got, it's like, Hey, if I'm going to be poor, at least I'm going to be happy. So, <laughs> did it, did it feel weird to turn down some of the opportunities? I'm guessing that probably you would have taken previously. Previously, yeah. I, I lived what I'd call a 95.5% life before. Like 95% of what I did, I felt really good at. I didn't have customer complaints. I, you know, business was good. But 5% was just like, well, do I really want to do that? You know, however it is. Maybe that's marketing. Maybe that's sales. Maybe it's just the business you're in in general. You know, it's great for 95% of people, but not 100. Um, and so it, it did take me a while to be able to find some hundred percent yeses. Um, but I think that's with everything, you know, once you get super committed, you have a lot of opportunities to do less than what you're committed for. And only a few that will, you know, raise the level of what you're looking for. And if you find those and you say no to everything else, it becomes really easy, but it was, it was quite a bit. People didn't understand at first. I'm just like, no, I'm not worried about it. I'm not, I'm fine. It's fascinating. A lot of money. That's really fascinating. I think that if people, you know, I think including me, right? If I would make my decisions like that, my mm-hmm. decisions would come out far better, right? Yeah. But patience, you got to have patience and I have zero patience. So yeah. um, let's pivot this for a second. So cool. your software company that you had are two of them, one or two? Yeah. Two. Okay. So when you started that, and I'm just curious about this, when you started that company, how did you know that the marketplace needed that software. Cool. Um, In both situations, I built something for me personally, for a company that we were working on and created a solution that worked and then said, oh, okay, now that that's done, let me redesign it so that I can share it out with others. Um, You know, one was like, how do you, how does somebody deliver uh, their products, their digital courses, inside their own applications, inside their own environments. So originally it was built for me. And then afterwards it was shared out um, for other people. That's interesting. Um, so did you have, and the reason I asked that question, I have a good friend. Uh, he's one of my dear friends, actually he's in the den. Um, and one of his biggest things, he, he's a product. He does product manufacturing. He's one of the largest ones in the, in the whole country, actually. Um, and, he he was he said a lot he said lots of times he deals with people that um that come to him with an idea and they want to 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 do this idea, kind of like what you did but yours wound up being successful a lot of people's don't correct because they don't take that time to check and see if people actually want the product they can't they don't check to see if they can even sell the product once they make it they invest all this money and then they figure out how to sell it and i think that's silly I think that's yeah. bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. It's a wild game. I get maybe, I don't know, a few a month people that will approach me and say, Hey, I have a great idea for this app or this software. It'll help my company. But I think without experience, it's really easy to look and say, Oh, creating a new software sounds easy. It sounds fun. And more often than not, what I'll do is first, give them, I'll just make up some crazy number. It's like, well, if you're not going to spend at least a quarter million in development, then we're not. It might cost that. It might cost 30,000. I don't know, but this is that first blowback. And then the second one is, is you need to go out and try to find the person that's already built what you want, even if it's only 95%. And it's interesting how lazy people are. With that, they go to Google, they look at Google page one or they think, oh, I can't find it. 
But once you realize how much it costs, it's likely that you're going to find something else that somebody already designed. A few people inside of the, the Lions and coaching group um, that had the money to spend. And I still said, I need you to go find every competitor before I'll look at this project. And they found the exact thing that they needed for like, I don't know, 150 bucks a month. And it manages all of their detailing shops and they've exponentially increased their business by just investing the time to find the solution versus just going, Oh, let's create something immediately. Cause it's software development is not fun on a big scale. God, There's just a lot. I'm, to it. Yeah. It doesn't sound fun to me at all. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it sounds awful, but you said something interesting. I, I think I actually just forgot what it was that you said um, a second ago. Um, it's all right. I'll come back to it. Um, so, oh, I know what it was. Are you are you referring to, and it's interesting that you bring this up because I actually wonder why you decided not to go this route because I'm assuming the route you're talking about with this particular situation is Mighty Networks. You know, I'm not sure who it is. All right. Yeah. Mighty Networks does essentially the same thing, right? I mean, you could go in, you could even, I mean, you pay to have it, you know, it, it would look just like it would have my face on it if I wanted to, mm-hmm. right? But here's what I found. And I'd be interested to see what you think about this because you've seen the evolution. Now, were you here with the, you, yeah, you, you were here for the whole app experience, right? First yeah. one and a second one. Okay. Yeah. One prior. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here's what I've, what I found in my experience shows that people won't get off Facebook. Like mm-hmm. if you, like we had a whole network uh, on mighty networks with people and, and we put content in and we tried our ass off to get this thing to work. And the fact of the matter is as much as people say they hate Facebook, including me, it, that's where everybody's at. That's where everybody stays. And it's really hard to get them off Facebook. Yeah. So what's been your experience with moving people from, you know, well, hell, the the app the first time, right, off of Facebook, then back onto Facebook, and then back onto the app. Yeah. What was your experience with that? Attention contractors of the Successful Life podcast. Want to supercharge your business decisions? We've got something just for you. Head over to our website, SuccessfulLifePodcast.com, and click on the free download button to grab your copy of Warning When Hiring a Leadership Coach. Equip yourself with the insights you need to make informed decisions for your business. Don't miss out. There has to be, to kind of answer a question that you were asking in there, there has to be a really big draw, a reason for people to be off Facebook. Um, You know, in this scenario, you're running all the live calls, coaching group calls inside of a Facebook group. Um, Internally for the company, once they hit about 600 users, 600 members, Facebook gets extremely hard to manage, just to manage the billing alone, because you're billing on one system and then you have to kind of have to find their, you know, your members' profiles on Facebook and then, you know, balancing back and forth and you really don't have great contact information. There's no way to automate your billing systems. So moving off of Facebook for that is you know, everything. It's, it's, it's the core reason why. Um, I think right now is a little bit different than it was maybe two years ago, where I have really good friends in both coaching and then the spiritual communities who are getting their groups banned from Facebook, closed groups because of what they're speaking about on the inside. So we, now we have more censorship that's flowing back in that even these communities are struggling if they're on the forefront or they don't like the main narrative. Um, When that happens, I think people in your networks or your groups are more likely to move. They're like, oh, okay, cool. We're moving to a sovereign set of servers. We can say what we want to say. The ease of even from a consumer standpoint to do business with you when everything's integrated into one, it makes it easier for them. But as you experience, when the den went from Facebook to another app that didn't work very well. And there was no reason to stay on. There was no extra hooks like push notifications and the, the, you know, all of this stuff. Um, nobody wanted to use it because it sucked. So if you're going to build an environment, it needs to be as good or better 
than um, others. And the current platform that we're using right now, it gave us the ability to, to separate content. Because one of the biggest issues with Facebook running a group is you do a live video six months later, if you want to find that, you got to dive deep. Like there's no way to separate content um, unless you ran multiple groups. So I think it depends a lot on your communities, how big they are, what you want to spend, you know, on, on building something um, that really works for you. It works really well for us for all of those reasons, especially the censorship. Now, I am curious about how is, you know, because you, you know, you understand, I mean, to a degree, I suppose, the, the algorithm and how it all works with Facebook. And sometimes people see your shit. Most of the time they don't see it. Is it the same in a private app like this? Is it, is there, are there similar, um, I guess, algorithms? I guess is the only way I know how to say it. There can be if you design them, but most of them don't have them. That would make sense that yeah. they wouldn't have them. There's a, God, what is that called? There's, there's a documentary called Social Networks. That's okay. And it's how the AI engines for both Google and Facebook were originally created and why. And it, it basically, that job of that algorithm or computer is to watch how long you're active and what you click on. And then the next thing it's trying to do is if you click on something, let's say it's you know a rally, good, bad, and different, doesn't matter the group, you click on it, it says, oh, Corey's interested in this. I'm going to now deliver him 50 things that he's most likely to click on. And some of them are going to be sales, you know, clicks, because they're trying to sell clicks. And so all day long, these algorithms are watching your communications. And if you're off social media, it's freaking out. It's like, how can I get them back in? So in the beginning, they tried to, to give you a, a thing that worked well for you. Like you can have a Democrat and a Republican sitting across the street from each other. And they're only receiving content about what they think is right, which is wildly damaging because now you don't see the whole narrative and you get those Karens and people freaking out saying, are you stupid? What are you seeing? It's what they're seeing. It is. And we can't argue with that, right? You can't, it's subjective, right? It's it's what they believe to be true. And it's the same for you and I. It's like we get fed the same stuff that we're supposed to get fed because that's the things that we've looked at, right? Yep. And so how are we supposed to believe? How, how oh my God, I, I, I know I'm going to derail for a second, but this derail. is probably the most bother, bothersome thing that I've seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. So- TikTok, surprisingly, is where I get most of my information because that's where people have live video. Anyway, this lady said, hey, I want you to watch me do this video. She did it. And the words that she used were vaccine, um, unvaccinated, and I will not comply. Now, I'll say that again. The, the statement she said was, I will not be vaccinated i will remain unvaccinated and i will not comply mm -hmm. the words that came out of tiktok were i want to get vaccinated and i will comply yeah. greg i'm serious i am dead ass serious i saw it with my own eyes i showed my dad he was like this is i'm, I'm just like this how long has this been going on because we don't know we don't pick up on this until we pick up on it and yeah. it takes a long time yeah right it's intense. A mind is blown. Like, that's creepy, dude. Yep. They're just pre-programming words inside of a system and, to listen to what you're saying. And yeah, but and they know that most people don't watch the video. Most people read the video. The, the yep. statistics are out. They know that. Yep. And so they're literally changing the hearts and minds of people, and they don't even know. Now yep. that's always been going on, I guess. Yeah. But I, I just guess I haven't seen it quite this blatant. Right. I mean, I guess, you know, they, they did take Donald Trump's, you know, podcast down with what's it with the Nelk boys, which, you know, how can you how can you look at that and say that's normal? Yeah, it's definitely not normal. Definitely. No. 
for any society, no. what's happening right now isn't normal. There was, and I, I don't know the exact numbers, so I'm just going to say it. I was reading a, a news article yesterday that it was something like $1.7 billion, that's billion with a B, was of taxpayers' money was spent from um, the government's media account to big box like Google, Facebook, to control the information they would release in their articles and on Facebook. So we were, they were paying, not just creating the narrative. They're like, hey, this is what we want people to see. Here's the money to make sure that you only deliver what we want you to see, or them to see. So let me make sure I got that right. I pay my taxes. Yep. They take the money from my taxes and they pay Facebook to tell me how to live my life and what to think. Correct. Fantastic. Yep. That's not true. I want to tell you anything else other than that. <laughs> I mean, where's the end for this? Like, or is there an end? Can anybody stop this? I think so. I just think it's more of a, it's like a generational change. We took 20 years to get here. Um, and, you know, the kids that like it takes first to take somebody like you and me to, to question and then start to teach, don't believe what they're saying. I have a 13 year old daughter. Actually, she's 16 now, but she's 13 when, when COVID first came out and everything that she talked about was that narrative. And all of my explanations to her were opposite. I'm like, I know I sound funny because I'm not communicating with you the same way teachers are. And what these people are saying, which are all being paid to teach you a certain thing, like these things don't make sense. And it took a couple of years for her to finally get through it because she was just so indoctrinated. So I think it's an evolution. We're just going to get to the point where we just don't accept it anymore. Hopefully it happens through the next political or the next couple of presidents um, that come through. But I think people are finally seeing the damage, especially with the wave of monetary damage that's now going to come because of lifting COVID restrictions. Now people can be foreclosed on. They haven't been able to for a couple of years. You can get evicted. Um, a buddy of mine, he, uh, his job is to assay uh, or uh, assay. Yeah. To, on commercial buildings in California. So he manages something like 700 banks and all of their paper that are written on commercial properties. And he had told me that 40%, this was last year, 40% of all commercial buildings in Southern California were already in default. That as soon as this mandate lifts, they're gonna start foreclosing on them. So we now have the next tidal wave of problems. Interest rates are changing, inflation's changing, but now those people that have been living off of the government, not paying bills, you know, living through, trying to get through life because of all of these closings, going to get caught really fast. And this is going to cause another wave uh, monetarily, which is just, it's another problem. I think these kinds of problems force people to wake up and say, there has to be something new. Yeah, 100%. Do you, whenever these foreclosures and start happen, stuff start ha starts happening, I mean, uh, I can't I can't imagine what everything is going to look like. And here's the sad part. It's going to affect a lot of people that probably voted that way. Yep. And and that's really shitty. You know what I mean? That really sucks that. But, you you know, I, I guess we all have the free will at this point to make the decision of who we vote for. But I don't know, dude, it's it, it's pretty insane to me. Uh, this whole thing's insane. Like. In, 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 yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody's got real answers. Um, ho hopefully one day we'll we'll figure this thing out. But let's pivot for a second and and let's talk about you know how you believe and what your thoughts are on how meditation could help somebody with ADHD. Or let's just say that maybe they don't have ADHD diagnosed, and a lot of folks don't. And just to fill everybody in, most business owners are ADHD. Uh, sure. Most salespeople are ADHD. Sure. But most people don't know that. Yeah. And so here's 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 what I've been working on. I'm writing a book about this. As you know, this is part of our conversation today. Um, what I found is most people don't know that. Mm -hmm. They just don't know. And also, and you know this, Sean is very uh, open about talking about him being ADHD. But you know, working with Sean, unless 
Are you ADHD? I don't know if you are or not. I don't know that I am anymore. But okay, that's I told fair. I was told I was slow, told I was dyslexic, but hey, not I don't now. Really associate with those anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, but but you do understand like being able to keep up with somebody with ADHD is a different ball game than keeping up with somebody who is very organized, very you know systematic. Right? We sure. are organized and systematic about certain things, but not everything. And it's really important as a business owner, especially if you have a team of people, salespeople, that you know that because those salespeople are going to be really great at some things and they're going to be really shitty at some things. And if you know that as the owner, business owner, then you could help fix those shitty areas by maybe supplementing with a VA or an assistant or whatever the area they're lacking in. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important. And I think it could really change people's business. Yeah. I think there's two topics that you, you kind of brought up here. Let me just pick one that's super easy to understand in sales of any kind. You could be the CEO or the car salesman. When, you're, when your ADHD is on and you're focusing on multiple different things at a time, you know, one, you have a hard time really connecting with the person that you're selling to because you're thinking of everything else. And meditation in itself allows you to say, I can be ADHD 90% of the time. And that 10% moment when I want to close down and just focus, you know, one-on-one and be present with that person. Now I have a human connection with that person, right? Now the sale is much more easy to happen. There's another part of this that happens is, you know, you, you walk into a sale Uh, you're closing a mortgage, you're doing something and you're not centered. It's like your central nervous system is vibrating. You almost feel nervous to say the sale. You almost feel nervous to be like, when is this going to cancel? Are they going to close? Am I going to get paid? If I don't do this, rent's not going to be paid. All of those things are like pinging through your system. For me, it would feel like static. I was just nervous about it. Um, And when I actually learned how to focus and you know, calm my central nervous system down. It, it stopped being, I can't pay for something if I don't close this person to actually just providing really good communication and service and more people want to buy because they're not comfortable with you because they just know that you're not just trying to force sell them. And I think that's a big problem in the sales industry, period, whether you're ADHD or not. I think what you're, you know, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you're a hundred percent right. And it's active listing, right? That is such a key thing that most sales, I don't know about most. I, I know a lot of salespeople suck at active listing because as you mentioned, they're thinking about what they're going to do with the money they're about to make, or they're thinking about their wife or their girlfriend or whatever. And back to me, bring this all the way around to what you said about the eye earlier. You said when you like you said when, when people I can't remember exactly how you said it. Mirror neuron. Yep. Yep. So guess what? You can tell if I got a bunch of shit going on with me, you're going to know because yeah. the energy, right? We yep. pick up on energy. So does your customers, right? Yep. So if you show up that way, they're going to perceive you that way. It's called incongruency. If I'm telling you that I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, but you can see clearly on my face that I'm full of shit. Yeah. I may not think you know that, but you know that, right? You know, yeah. and you may not know. You may not actually know that's the reason. You just have an uneasy feeling, and therefore you don't move forward. Yep. The second part about this one is is the question that you asked about, you know, being an employer with ADHD and people around you. Um, it, as important as being able to active listen when you're with a salesperson or you're in the middle of a sale, it's the same thing when you're working with other people. You know, it's great to be the idea person, but if you can't, as as an owner, latch to an idea and see it through, you're gonna give your team 50 new things to work on and none of them are gonna get complete because you're less focused on something. And so, You know, bringing up the gym analogy, when you go work out for the first time and you do curls or whatever, it hurts. And, you know, you're not as heavy. You're not as good as what you thought you would be. Six months of doing it, you know, every day, some kind of exercise, your body transforms, your confidence transforms. You're actually able to show up because you have strong muscle. 
when you're doing certain kinds of meditations, you're literally creating a strong mental muscle so that when you need to focus, you can. And it's not that I, I can't. It's like, you know, having 50 browsers on your internet open at once and trying to write an email and then you squirrel and you change and you go look at that new car and then you're like, oh, I just needed to do that email and then you go over here. All we're doing is creating mental strength so that we can focus when it's time to focus, which gives you a lot more free time because you actually just sit down and write the email. It took three minutes, not 35 minutes. You know, it's interesting. So what do you think happened to our brain, so to speak, when let's just use the email example. It's such a good example because I would do that all day long. I would do that multiple times a day. Like I, I do do it. Right. And, and so, in fact, there's an email I'm supposed to be sending right now that I'm not doing. So which was actually supposed to be an hour ago. The point is, is that what do you think that does to me knowing I haven't done the thing? I haven't sent the email knowing I have to send it. I promised that it would be there. And I said, I'll do it when I get home. I've been home for an hour now and I haven't done it because I, I don't really want to do it. I'm, I have to do it, but I don't really want to do it. But what does that do to me? Does that bog me down throughout the day knowing I've got that thing to fix? I'm For sure. sure. Every time you just flopped between going, I know I need to do it. I haven't done it. Those are thoughts that you have. And depending on the science you read, which university science research study you look at, humans either have 86,000 thoughts a day or 8,600. And I'm tending to believe it's more like 86,000. It's either, all day either or it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. So if you're in that space and instead of writing the email, you have to think about it 20, 30 times during the day because your mind goes, oh, I need to go back to there. Okay, I'll go back to there in a minute. Let me now refocus back to what I was doing. And then the mind pops back up. It's like, hey, we need to do that. So the thing you're focused on goes, oh, I need to do that. Okay, I'm going to come back to it. It happens over and over again. It's just a huge succubus of time, energy, capacity. All of that just keeps tugging from you instead of just being able to do that one thing. You know, I ask myself this question all the time during my work day. What is it that I'm purposefully not doing right now? And whatever comes to mind, I do it in that moment. Because it's usually the last thing you want to do. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes total sense. But that's awareness, right? It's, it's just knowing that either one, I'm going to think about it 20 times, or maybe I'm not going to think about it again at all and just won't get it done. But it's being aware that, that you are going to act one way or the other. And it's being aware to say, I, I need to not do that. I just need to sit my ass down, write a five minute email and move on. Yep. 100%. Awareness. Yep. For sure. Greg, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on today. And before we go, I would like for you to tell everybody where they can find you um, and social channels. And by the way, you do have some cool meditations. I think if you could, uh, we'll put those in the show notes and I'll have you get those to me if that's cool with you. Absolutely. Um, the meditations themselves, I'm just going to throw this out there. A few years ago, I was trying to figure some stuff out. And I was in the middle of studying neuro-linguistic programming, mind mapping, um, frequencies, uh, affirmations. And so I spent about six months and several thousand dollars because all of the music was created with specific frequencies hitting the brain, along with words that I created for myself. I would use them three times a day, once in the morning to tell, me, tell my body and mind how to wake up once in the afternoon, which shifted my money mindset. And then once before bed, telling my body how to heal itself while I slept. So I'll send you the link, just download them. People can use them. Um, I created them for me, but now I just share them out. So amazing. That's incredible. Or did you use, bin is it, I think binaural sound. Did I say that right? The binaural beats. Yeah, I think it's, a, yeah. Did you well, use there, that? There's, you know? there's a lot in cymatics. Cymatics is the study of sound. And specifically for the shapes that sound makes. It's pretty wild. They'll they create a table, put sand on it, just look up somatics, it starts with the C, put a frequency through it, and they make shapes like um, geometrical, always perfect. They could be like a snowflake or a square or octagon. It's wild. Um, but it, it was how sound impacts into the body. 
And so we just, yeah, I hired a really cool composer to write all of the frequencies and the sounds behind it so that it sounded nice and also was impactful for the body. Was it your voice on the, I knew it. And why, just really quick, and then we're going to be done. But why is that important? That it was my own voice? Yes. Um, well, I did it for me, knowing that I was going to give it out, you know, for other people as well. Um, I don't know. Outside of, I just got a sexy voice. It sounded nice. Well, we listen to ourselves all day, right? Good decisions, yeah. bad decisions. And so I, I've looked into this and that according to whatever it was I looked into, they said, if you record it, you know, I'll tell you, I, I'm an LP uh, practitioner and hypnosis oh. and all that stuff. So I did a hypnosis with my own voice. So mm. it would, you know, so it would be more impactful. And I, I don't know if it was or not, but I did it. Awesome. So anyway, that's why I asked. Amazing. I'll send yeah. a link, just download the things or listen to them on SoundCloud. How to connect um, social media, mainly Facebook and Instagram at the moment. Greg W. Anderson, G-R-E-G, and then W. Anderson. Half the people on social media think my name is Greg Wanderson. So, <laughs> but it's Greg Anderson is a, is a, prof a professional trick rodeo rider in Australia. And he's like 20 years older than me. He bought the domain before I came up. So I'm Greg W. <laughs> Anderson. That's priceless. Oh, it's so good. All right, Greg. Thank you, man. If you took anything away from this podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and go check out some other episodes of SuccessfulLifePodcast.com. This is the Successful Life. Thank you for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at CoreyBarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.